Welcome to Spin It, a business podcast that takes you into the lives of some of today's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, game changers, athletes, and many more. On Spin It, we take a deep dive into the lives and journeys of our guests to deliver real, unfiltered, and unscripted conversations that will surely inspire hope and promote change. We focus not on their current success, but on the obstacles and challenges that they faced along the way that often doesn't get talked about. How they battled adversity, getting up and being knocked down when all of the odds were stacked against them. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Lisa Lampanelli. Lisa has been a stand-up comedian for over 30 years, performing at iconic venues like Radio City Music Hall. In today's episode, we talk with Lisa about the challenges she overcame throughout the pandemic and the career path that led her to her most challenging venture yet, retirement. We also learn about her current endeavors in life coaching and her experience co-hosting the podcast, Losers with a Dream. It's an honor to speak with Lisa today on the show, and I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Lisa, hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I am so excited to discuss all things blue hair, unmarried, not fun, comedy, podcasts, everything else. Thank you for joining. Of course. Oh, my God. We did it, girl. We we finally scheduled. Thank you. Good Lord, between your schedule and my schedule, I think pretty much the pre- president and vice president have an easier time meeting. <laughs> I know. We're really important, so I'm happy we have this time. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump right in. You've worked really, really hard for 30 years in comedy, and you've done stand-up, and you've participated in so many roasts, which I had the pleasure of watching a few of those. You've been crowned comedy's most lovable queen of mean. What first sparked your interest in comedy? When did this start? Well, how about what sparked my interest in walking away from it three years ago and getting the F out? That's really (laughs) (laughs) what's important is that it's like, it's very interesting to do something that every, and to be a success is something that people can't imagine walking away from because, I mean, it's so hard to make it as a comic at all. And to be female comic back in the day, yes. it's people are like, oh my God, how could you just be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, cause you start to notice your life isn't joyful anymore or doesn't seem to have that sort of little fizzy feeling it had in the beginning of comedy. And when it was just fun to write and have a good time and have connection with one-on-one and friends and other open micers, and then it's like just a, becomes a grind. And anytime anything becomes a grind to me, it's a sign that that's just time to reassess and figure out what to do next, if anything. Because I think none of, we don't really have to do anything next. We can sort of just kind of live a life. Just kind of be. Yeah, there's such. Yeah, I, so, so I, it, show business is very over romanticized. And it is it's a very <laughs> privileged job. But. It also has its problems and it's it's hard to keep up that pace. And, you know, I just got to a certain state where I was like, well, I kind of like enjoyed this for 30 years. Now I kind of want out. And am I allowed to quit? And I called my business manager and I was like, am I allowed to quit? And he's like, yeah, in two years. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So it, it's pretty interesting though. once you do leave something high profile or maybe even anything, You retire from even being a mailman or being a grocery worker where you do have that loss of identity and you're like, what the hell am I? I have no idea. Now, three years after retirement, I'm like, oh, I know what I am. I'm just me. And I'm just allowed to kind of be a person 
So it is that it's such a cliche is that being a person doing it's a person, a, a human doing a human being. I kind of just be a lot, which I think is really healthy at this stage. That's incredible. So let's go back because I, I know you quit. I want to dive deeper into that. There's so many things to unpack there, but I want to start with what made you choose comedy and did you intentionally and actively choose comedy? Yeah, I think people have that stupid saying, I didn't choose it. It chose me. It's like, ugh, you know what chooses me every day? Enormous amounts of food, but I can't eat it anymore because I had bariatric surgery 12 years ago. I mean, like a lot of stuff chooses us, stop being dramatic. So I think it was mostly because I think a lot right. of comics, actors, performers, anyone in the spotlight was either had a need to be seen, had a need to be looked at and heard and validated in some way. And I don't think the people with the healthiest uh, relationship with their parents ended up stand-up comics who have to stand up in front of 3,000 people and command attention and yell at them if they don't listen. So I think a lot of it is that, you know, I just wanted to do something where I kind of captivated someone. I just, like, I was interesting. And I always, you know, obviously you don't go into this if you don't have a sense of humor. So I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. That sounds cute. And for a long time, it was really cute and fun and great. And then you're like, oh, my God, I cannot stand this anymore. Just, I mean, the, yeah, on stage, yes, but the lifestyle. So I think at 30, when I started, I was smart enough to, and mature enough to know after a first career in journalism that, oh, this is going well. I'm going to kind of be okay at this and maybe even make a living at it. Like it was a cute, great fantasy. And when that's happened and then it went beyond, I was like shocked. But you, I just got on this sort of treadmill of like, now I got to keep it up. Now I got to keep going bigger, 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 bigger. Until you right, realize right. the accomplishment doesn't do shit. Like it really does never make you feel better Absolutely. about yourself. <laughs> so which, which is what we were going to, which I was going to talk to you about. So how many times were you the brunt of your own jokes and it was covering something emotionally or, you know, trauma that you maybe felt earlier? Well, I mean, I am an insult comic or was an insult comic. So a lot of the roasts, a lot of just my style was, I grew up watching Dean Martin roasts on TV. This was probably before you mm -hmm. were born. And they were just really fun. And all the people looked like they were in a good time. And they were all friends, I thought. And I was like, that's what comedy is. Okay, I want to do that. So it did feel inclusive and connected. And so I think I was always just kind of looking for connection. So I didn't have a sort of thing where I had a rule of like, I got to get me first before I get them. But I like, put in, you know, fat jokes when I was fat. I did old jokes. I did, you know, horror jokes. I did like anything that I was just kind of like goofing on about myself, I think was fine. Cause it was just like, okay, I'm going to bring my flaws to the table and then I can point out theirs. So I didn't find it stuff I wasn't working on because I was actually actively going to therapy, you know, since I was 25. And I just think it was like, oh, those are real things that are issues in my life. And let's talk about them. So question, did you ever have friends not want to maybe share information or maybe that got like a little hesitant to be around you because they didn't want to be part of the jokes? Well, you never really make fun of your friends if they're in the audience. At least I never did because it never lands. People know it's somebody you know. It doesn't make any sense. You never have audience plants or whatever. But I did have like a boyfriend here or there that it'd be like, well, I don't want to be included in the jokes. And of course, me at the time being emotionally unavailable, I'd be like, well, I guess that's a deal breaker. I guess we have to break up. So in other words, I just think it was a way of me 
sort of getting out of and self and sabotaging that relationship. So self-sabotaging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is pretty interesting stuff that now in hindsight, I could go, Oh, that was a hill I chose to die on. That was stupid, but it's growth. It's what you have to do. But no, I was never a person if I, if somebody said something funny in real life, I'd say, oh, can I use that? Because my sister, I remember once, it was really funny. I had told her, it just were talking. I said, oh man, three of my ex-boyfriends died in like six months. And I, again, I wasn't close with them or enemies, so, but I was just like, well, isn't that wild? Right, and right. And she goes, I said something about, well, you have sex with me, you die. She goes, you should have a show called The Deadliest Snatch. And I was like, that is so funny that like I have to use that. She's like, sure. So usually anyone who was around me knew that, you know, hey, I'm going to use your stuff if you don't use it. So, but most people, it wasn't like we're Kathy Griffin, like Kathy Griffin, Howard Stern always says to her, you know, I'm not going to hang around with you because you'll talk about what I talk about off stage and you'll put it on stage. But I was never that kind of, that's not my thing to do. Got it. Got it. Did you ever bomb a show? And I, I mean, when I say bomb a show, not that the jokes weren't landing, but like bomb a show. Yeah. I mean, rarely only because I started again, I think me starting at 30 instead of 20, I sort of knew how to get out of situations and I knew my personality, but I mean, there are shows where there was this one where the show that turned me into an insult comic wasn't really a bomb thing. It was more like where I did my little set. It was just like 10 minutes. It was very early on. And um, the guy after me went up on stage and he was bombing. Like he was, like Emily Dickinson once said, he was eating his own cock. So this guy was doing horribly and someone yelled, hey, bring back the fat chick. And anyone else with self-esteem would have just heard the bring back and go, they want me back on stage. And all I heard was fat. And that, as we know, is the worst word when you have a lot of shame about body size. So that did turn me into where I said it hurt me, even though it should have been a compliment, the bring back part. I remember being home that night at my parents' house and just writing tons of insults like, oh, if somebody calls me fat and they're skinny, I'm going to say this. If an ugly guy calls me fat, I'm going to say this. So it turned me into like this person with this great comebacks. And I just started doing them as jokes. So again, the show wasn't a bomb, but it felt so heavy and hard and awful, but it did lead to the path that I was supposed to take. That's amazing, Lisa, because I, I love how personal that you get about that. And I also, too, we're going to talk later on in the show. I love the growth and the disruption of going, hey, you know what? I really need to I need to get deeper here. That's amazing. Yeah. You said that during COVID-19 that you turned inward and that you started getting rid of friends who didn't serve you. How do you determine, or how did you determine, I should say, when a friend was no longer serving you? Well, there are things we cling to, and we talk a lot about them on my podcast, we talk about attachment, and we cling to them out of nostalgia. We cling to them out of scarcity, out of fear of being alone, and just fear in general of anything. And there had been some friends that just I had been noticing over the years, just like with, with comedy, I'd noticed over the years, it wasn't joyful, that I had more of a heaviness when I hung up the phone than when I picked up the phone. And I just said, I got to do a friendship declutter because it's, it's not helping them either. Like me caretaking someone to death isn't helping them. It's taking away from their own agency. It's make, It's me interrupting their journey. So if I'm caretaking someone, and that's our primary relationship that's got to go. So 
you know, that felt really good to let go. I also, I'm not a fan of active alcoholics. I'm not a fan of active drug addicts. Uh, they have my empathy, but that's not something that I can be around because I just don't like it. It's, I don't like the way it makes me feel like I can't communicate with them and I feel like it's out of control. And I had to just write off or bid adieu to someone who was actively drinking every night. And I just, it's sad, but again, I can't enable that relationship. So I think you do have a fair amount of grief, even if it's your choice and you're sad about it. And then you realize, yeah, oh, for sure. the sadness mm -hmm. is lifting a little. So my life a year later, I'm like, oh, that was really healthy to do that. It wasn't helping them. Right. What do those conversations look like? Like how, how did those conversations happen? Well, one, the, the alcoholic I know I knew I couldn't talk with. I knew she wasn't communicative in about that subject. So I just said, do you want to get together and chat in person? She said, I can't handle that. I don't have the fortitude for that. And I said, all right, we'll take care. And it literally just left it at that because I offered. The other one was a 35-year relationship, 35-year friendship. And I, we, she was, I'm not ready to talk. I'm not ready to talk, she said. And it did dawn on me this relationship is over because she's too fearful to talk to me. I'm too caretakey to let this go. This needs to go. So I wrote, I mean, I literally didn't even overthink it. It's like, you know, it so well, you know, it in your heart so much what you have to do. Ripped a piece of notebook paper out of an old notebook. It wasn't even fancy. Hand wrote, I'm sorry, this friendship has come to an end. Clearly that's the case this is. And I hope you got some laughter and friendship out of it because I did. And I wish you nothing but the best. And I think that's exactly the way it has to happen, where it's not overthought, where it's not like tortured over. You just go, I right. know it. And just like all this stuff, we just, there's no pro and con list. You know it in your heart. You know what you're supposed to do. I knew I was supposed to get out of comedy. I knew I was supposed to start this podcast. I knew I was supposed to do just what my heart said yes to. And the problem is we have so much noise in our lives. We don't listen to that heart. Well, you know, and that's that's so interesting because when you and I were doing our call beforehand, we I felt like we just immediately hit it off, Lisa, and I loved how much you were you were so open and so vulnerable and so authentic about, look, Steph, I've done this work. Like this isn't like something I'm preaching. Like I'm not going around telling everybody that they have to do the work. I'm talking about my work. Oh yeah. And you're so right, Lisa, because whenever whenever I go to when I coach an executive or, you know, I coach somebody through infidelity and and you know what's next as far as their attachments, so their mm -hmm. children and their husband or their their husband and their wife or whatever it is they knew they saw every single sign yeah. they it wasn't something that they were like oh my gosh whack right in the face they knew if you really are honest and you take a step back and there's no audience and you just breathe and it's just mm -hmm. you yeah you knew every one of those warning signs that you chose to ignore right right and, and i think it's everyone's afraid and, of that empty feeling of what about when it's over and then and honestly yeah, as someone totally who when right. you retire and have that big oh oh my god i decluttered my friends my parents are dead so i don't have to caretake them i don't have a career and you sit there and go what am i am i nothing and you realize oh, identity is an artificial construct you're just a person and i guess going to get coffee is enough I guess being nice to the mailman is enough. I guess walking the dog is enough. And then things start to populate that empty space. The problem is no one, a lot of people feel they can't tolerate that emptiness even for a day. And it does suck, but then it does populate with something that feels good inside. 
So before we get into your retirement, which I know is something that you really love to share and you're so eloquent and articulate whenever you talk about it, I want to know about your family dynamics when you were kind of growing up and getting into comedy and then, you know, through your career, what was your relationship like with your siblings and your parents? Oh my God. I've always been super close to my brother because he was three years younger than me. So I, but he was, um, he's still like one of the coolest people I know as far as just grounded. Like he was just had more self-esteem than me and my sister ever had. So I always gravitated towards him. He almost looked like an older brother. And that's what made that show I just talked about where they yelled, bring back the fat chicks so much worse is that he was there. So I'm like, oh my God, this guy's just called me out in front of the person that I look up to, even though he's younger than me. So, you know, it's a blessing that he was there because it all took this path. But my older sister, I'm really close to in the past few years, but a lot of it, I think, was that she was the oldest. And sometimes birth order is like, they become more like a mom and you resent that. So now it's more equal. So I'm like, oh, thank God. Like things just work out when you just yeah. work on yourself. And my parents, my mother was the tough one. I mean, she was a battle axe. She was how I am on, how I was on stage. That was like my mother. So it's very lovable and fun. But when you're mad, you're mad. Like right. my mother was like, you know, there was no, we don't drink or do anything. But boy, my mother was a food addict and passed that on to by role modeling it to me and my sister. And she also was a rager. And you just go, ooh, when that rageful thing came up, I got that from her too. And I have to work on that every day. So now I understand reading her journals now that she's gone. I'm like, oh, that rage came from sadness. And oh my God this poor woman. And I understood a lot of that before she died. But what's cool is you go, oh man, I took anger and I used it on stage and made a living and made people happy, I hope. And she really didn't have an outlet. So it feels like really sad to me. But she was the toughie. My father was humble and quiet and sweet. Yeah. And so she just didn't get it. And again, back then, when she died um, five months ago when she was 90. Like, dude, like 91, people didn't go to therapy in those days, you know? So she didn't, I mean, how was she supposed to work on herself reading Dear Abby in the newspaper once a day? So I really have a warm feeling towards her, even though we both had anger stuff. That's incredible. And and I, I can relate to that because um, it's funny because my mom, I, you know, we talked about my mom was hyper, hyper abusive. She had a mm. significant mental disorder. Um, she was physically and verbally um, mm. abusive. And I was angry. I was mad. I was sad. I was hurt. I was crushed. Like I didn't, I had already lost a father very, very young. And it's like, you know, I was thinking, you know, as a little mm. girl, you know, you think about what's my wedding going to look like and, you know, what, you know, picking out dresses. And I remember I was so fearful of everything with her because I just didn't know when she was going to lose it. Now, after all of the work, Lisa, after all of the work and all of the therapy and all of the coaching and all of the, the stuff, my mom didn't have an outlet. She didn't, she didn't know. She didn't have anybody right. to, to actually show her. Not that she would have, because therapists have said a million times, Stephanie, you have to, you have to, you figured it out. She could have gone somewhere to figure it out. She didn't, but I think she honestly did the best that she possibly could with the tools that she had. Like, I don't think that she could do any better with well, what yeah, you had. I agree. I had a spiritual counselor once who said, and people misunderstand this. And I, I, I don't agree. I agree with this woman. She said, if people could do better, they would. And I'll have friends push back and say, yeah, but I would do it this way. I'm like, yeah, you couldn't do better right. than they did. They can't. So my mother couldn't go on Lexapro and straighten it out. 
my mother couldn't do to vent vent at church and come home happy. You know what I mean? So you almost it shifted right. for me a few years ago. Thank God, way before she died. To every time she would do something, I'd I don't know. It was an it just happened one day. I was like, oh poor thing, like it just went to poor thing. Because I almost started yeah. looking at her as the kid, right? And I just you you get so you get so empathetic, yeah. and you're like, oh gosh, I can't. So I'm sorry. Well, and a lot of it is too. If yeah. we could do better, I remember that, Lisa. I remember when that well, happened. Well, and if we could do better, we would. Look, I'll have an angry moment once a week at least. It used to be five times a day, so I'm like, okay, we got progress here. But once in a while, I'll be like this fucking asshole or whatever, and just be like, oh really, or something. And then I'll go, okay, if I could do better, I would, and hopefully that'll be tomorrow. So the self-forgiveness is a lot. And our parents didn't know about self-forgiveness. They didn't know about any of that stuff where you can't have to be compassionate towards yourself. So I think we're really lucky that we grew up in an age that we could work on that stuff. I agree. I agree. So I want to dive into retirement. It seems to me in just the very short conversations that we've had, Lisa, that this was one of the most difficult times in your life. And you've touched on it briefly, like that moving out of, you know, Lisa, the, you know, the, the hysterical one, the funny one, that all of these different adjectives that come with your name into just Lisa. Why do you think yeah. it was so difficult? Because I'd been using, like most of us, artificial means of making myself feel better my whole life. So one of those is achievement, accomplishment. And when the world is opening up to you and going, oh, Carnegie Hall sold out, so let's do Radio City. Okay, let's do a five uh, HBO, you know, an HBO special after four Comedy Central. Okay, okay, here's a TV deal. Okay, and you just get on this thing and you've been medicating with that for so long that when you finally yes. take it and stop it all and all you've got is you, you did all this crap because you didn't think you were enough. Well, then you're doing nothing. So of course you think you're even less than not enough. And you're like, what the F am I? And I yeah. think it's worth suffering through for anyone because all that's bullshit. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I accomplished. It's just money. It's just stuff. It's And it's all meaningless, by the way, all that stuff. And you just, at the end of the day, go, wow, people who know how to live simply, and I don't mean, you know, strict stoics or minimalists or you know, people who live on communes right. and stuff. I just mean, people who know how to have a simple day. I followed this account on Instagram called Philosophy of Leisure. And it's all this, like these tips on like, just kind of being. And I'm like, oh my God. She, I literally am like a high school girl. I print the things out and put them in a notebook because I'm like, I have to remember that it's okay to just be. And it's hard just being. It's really hard. So that's what these three years have been like. But I think finally, they say it takes three tries at retirement before you do it right. Mine includes talking about myself, mine, my journey part. Mine includes having the podcast with the, the millennial guys that I do called Losers with a Dream, where we go into deep freaking issues, but have humor about it. It's like, oh, okay. And then it involves the friendships that still serve me, the dogs, the family stuff. And suddenly your days are pretty cute. And I don't do anything. I know it sounds like I'm a high school girl, but like, I always look at my calendar and go, that's cute. Oh my God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk Stephanie. That's cute. And if it doesn't have that kind of cute ring to it, I'm like, why am I doing this? Am I feeding that old Lisa who needs accomplishment? No. Oh, Lisa, that so I, I literally feel like my oldest daughter, I feel like she's going to, I feel like she's going to call Jenna and she's going to go, I want all of these clips oh. from this, this show. 
because I feel like this is what I do. And I don't, and by the way, and, and you're going to say, yeah, Stephanie, no kidding. Okay. I don't do this on purpose. I get lit up to serve people. Yeah. Like when people call me for crisis and when people call me for consulting, I am so excited when you see your clients light go off in their eyes and you see them go, Oh my gosh, you actually get me. You really understand. Yeah. I feel so excited. So you know what I do? Here's what I do. You're going to die. You're going to reach through the, the video and just smack oh, me. No. So then I plan out my kid's life and I make sure I'm at every single basketball game and every single lacrosse game and every single soccer game and every single music recital. And I do all of it. Okay. And then I schedule my clients from 5 a.m. until 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. because I love doing yeah. it. Okay. I'm so excited. And then I'm like, oh man, I had that 26 minutes where... I really blew it. I didn't have anything scheduled then. And I, wow. I really yeah, just, I my daughter's literally throwing stuff at my head going, mom, get your crap together. Like you could have just sat and drank two cups of coffee instead of one. Yeah. Dude, it happened to me the other day when I had a lot of back-to-back -back appearances and there was 10 minutes and I walked into the other room and I, and I'm not over scheduled at all, but it was this 10 minutes of the perfect light outside that indicated a little sadness for some reason. I'm in the house I grew up in. It's tons yeah. of pictures. And there was a little 10 minutes of, oh, this, I have a sadness come up. And I go, oh, okay, I'm supposed to feel that today. I'm supposed to lean into this 10 minutes and not fill it with, let me go on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And I just go, well, yeah. maybe the crying is what you have to do. So what are we running from is what we have to ask ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with you loving your clients and getting lit right. up. But when we stop taking care of ourselves and just become everybody's caretaker, we just want to look at it. And maybe it's fine. Yes. But what's really behind it? No, maybe it's not. Maybe maybe you totally nailed it. Mm -hmm. You're a thousand percent right. And you are like, and, and here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. I'm not a hypocrite. And I tell my clients to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I say, if you're that scheduled and you're scheduled and you're running from something, you're hiding from yeah. something you don't want to deal yeah. with. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I start, I stopped. I literally started writing a gratitude journal. I started talking about yeah. whenever I cut back to working nine months out of the year, instead of working for 12 months, yeah. I started writing of just, just really, truly, you nailed it, Lisa, just being yeah. like, what happens when I wake up and there's nothing on my calendar? What well, am I going to do? You know, my cautionary tale was when, when so, the Joan Rivers documentary came out. This was years ago, so I was still doing comedy. I was just starting to get known. And she had a calendar that was so booked. And she said, if I see a date that has an empty spot, I can't handle it. And I watched that. And subconsciously, I go, that's a warning for me to not be that way. Because that sounds like yeah. a sad way to live and harder. And that poor thing was very driven, driven crazy by this schedule. And we're running. We're just running. And Jim Carrey calling it the United States of avoidance. Yeah, I mean, we just want to avoid, avoid, avoid. But then what are we really avoiding? A little sadness, grief, mourning, death of a dream. We did an episode on the podcast about death of a dream. And there's a lot of dreams we have to be sad over that they didn't happen. Maybe I had to be a little sad that I didn't play Madison Square Garden. Maybe I had to be a little sad that I'll never have grandkids. Maybe I had to feel a little sad that I'll never be a good artist or painter. And then you go, oh, well, the sadness didn't kill me. I survived it. So now I don't have to be afraid of mourning other things. 
Right. And Lisa, before we talk about the podcast, I, I want to just I want to point that out to our listeners. So this comes from a ton of self-work. This is not something that we're saying is is like super easy. It's not mm. easy for me. Sometimes the days of sadness were so long. They weren't the 10 minutes. Now they more are. Now they are a little bit easier to deal with. And I remember you'll just love this. I remember going to see a therapist for for many years and she was this tiny, tiny woman. I mean, tiny. OK. And she was meaner than hell a New York woman ah! from the Bronx, just mean. And I remember walking in sometimes every once in a while with, with like an excuse and she would slam her book shut and she'd be like, get out of my office. You're not here to work. And I'd be like, Ugh! yeah. And she didn't play. Yeah. She was like, there was no joke for her at all. Like Lisa, she was like, that's what it is. So when you say things like you've been talking about, I think it's so important for people to know that it's a process. It's not something that is a, it's an over, overnight thing. It's something that takes a lot of iterations. Yeah. It takes a lot of feeling and a lot of reflection. And, and sometimes you're fighting with yourself and you're grappling with these big, big things. And that is okay. Yeah. The biggest thing that she said well, to what's me, also, Lisa, what's, what, what, I was going to say, and what people have to remember is I'm not done working on it. I make mistakes yeah. in the same shit from when I was in my 20s every day. So people get discouraged and they're like, well, how come I keep making mistakes? Because we call it like permission to be human. You're going to yeah. screw up and you just have to self-forgive and say that's okay. But I never trust a coach or a therapist who says they're done with their work because I will be 90 and still have these issues. But hopefully for a shorter amount of time, and fewer times. So I mean, I feel like when you're done, you're uh, dead. Well, yeah, because people think you're going to arrive at a point. There's no arrival. So, you know, I'm not self-actualized. I'm still working on everything. And I make mistakes and have to apologize all the time and just go, wow, that's interesting how once you get your head around it, you go, oh, okay, well, I guess this is my life. I work on myself and that's it. Yeah. So I remember, I remember her saying to me, like I would come in with some whatever th theatrical or dramatic, you know, something, you know, like, Oh, I got fired or, you know, or, you know, something bad had happened to me and broke, you know, a breakup or just whatever it was. And I was like, what do I do? What do mm -hmm. I do? And she was like, Stephanie, why do you always feel like you have to do something? You just have to be. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel, I feel. And she was like, so, so what? And you know what? Every single feeling doesn't require a response. I want you just to sit with it. And I remember, Lisa, I remember walking in, and this is an expensive therapist. Like, I was spending a lot of money to come to the to the, this therapy, and I didn't have a lot of money. And so I was coming there. There's times where, like, our sessions were 12 minutes. And she was like, okay, you're done. Yeah. And I was like, well, uh, wait, uh. And she's like, yeah, no, you're done. Get out. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you can't handle anymore. Right now, this is what you need to practice and you need to work on being still in your thoughts mm. and being still with who you are. And I was like, what is she talking about? And it was yeah, so that's frustrating. A, that's a hard so. concept. That's a hard concept for someone of any age, much less 20s, 30s, whatever, you know? And I just started to almost understand it in my late 50s, you know? So I think people will get to it when they get to it. Some, By the way, some people never get to it, and we just have to have tolerance for them. And be like, they're worth keeping in my life. They don't know how to do this. That's okay. It's not my job to fix them. That's hard too yes. when you want to fix everybody. And it's like, that is very, pretty much very I'm hard. realizing like, the older I get, the less I know. So who am I to fix them and interrupt their journey? So it's Precisely. all just very complicated. Yeah. 
Tell me all about the podcast. I want to know everything. Oh my God. I'm so lucky. This is what's wild. When I did feel all that emptiness and go, okay, I don't have to rush to fill it. I'd gotten rid of like, I had had many places to live. So I sold houses. I got rid of apartments. I got down. I've always only had one car. So I was like, okay, we're good with that. But I had to get rid of 90% of my belongings. I had decluttered these friendships. And I was like, okay, something's going to come into your life. Just have the faith because something's always come in that's right. Meaning I thought of comedy. It just came into my heart at 30 years old. So I go, something's going to happen. And my niece had introduced me to these two guys who were doing this open mic in Connecticut. And she's like, oh, you should come see them. They're my friends. And I'm fully prepared for them to suck. Because, you know, I'm a famous comic. I'm like, I'm going to have to tell these guys to quit. And I liked them both. And I saw a little glimmer that, oh, okay, well, they're kind of good for beginners. But then the big thing happened was when I met with them later and we're at this diner and they're like talking about these deep subjects that at 30, I didn't know existed. Words like vulnerability and fear of success and boundaries. And I'm going, these are straight millennial guys talking about this and they're, they're masculine. So I'm going, they don't have that bro energy that I hate in podcasting and that yeah. I think there's way too much of. It's so rapey and gross. And I'm like, these guys are just, they want love. They want to get married. They want children. They want connection. And I just said to them one day, I go, oh, this is a podcast. You should do it. And they're like, okay. Because I mean, if I tell you something and you're a beginning comic, you're going to listen if you're smart. So they do For it. Sure. And I go, huh, maybe I'll come on. Yeah, like maybe I'll come on once a month. And I literally went once to kick it off and I never left. And I was just like, now it's my podcast, bitches. But actually, it's all three of us. And it's called Losers with a Dream, available everywhere. It's getting some traction, thank God. And I cannot tell you. I love every minute of it. There's two things I've loved every minute of. Planning my wedding, even though I'm divorced, I still love planning my wedding. It was so much fun. And I love this podcast and the planning. And I'm such a control freak that I love, you know, planning what goes on TikTok, what goes on this, what goes on that. I said, this is a blast. So each week we take a huge issue. We obviously tell our truths about it. And it's sometimes funny. A lot of the times I make fun of them. And then we get down to like, how are we going to work on this issue in our lives? And I got to tell you, I never had more fun in my life. It's like back when I was describing open micing as a beginning comic, you just have fun. And I'm like, how did this gift come? So, so give me some comes. ideas. What are some of the topics? Tell me. Well, I mean, the big one that I loved because it was so funny. And we really, really don't go to our humor a lot. It just happens. But I said to them one day, I go, because they were being judgy about something. I go, okay, you know what? You're doing a podcast on judgment because you fucking assholes have to judge everything. Of course, I'm judging them. So they came in with a list of right. things they judge. And it was because, you know, you judge every second of every day. Like no one's escapes from this. Right. The things they said made me laugh so hard. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. I do that too. And then we had the big discussion of how to correct that. I loved that one. I also loved the one we did on boundaries. And we had a big one on fear of success because that's a tough concept for people to get their head around. Like, why would you be afraid to succeed? Oh, I know. Because we have profound self-hatred and don't think we're worth anything. So we had to really tweeze that apart because they found that hard to understand why. And uh, in a few weeks uh, or one of these recent episodes is uh, self-sabotage. I love that. So I really love going deep on those big issues that kind of I don't hear dudes talking about. And I'm kind of an honorary dude on the show. Right. 
That's amazing. So we're going to link that podcast so we so everybody gets to see it and gets to like, you know, hear the snippets of it. We're going to link all that at the bottom at the end of the show. I want to talk about what projects that you're most excited about that are upcoming for you. Oh, I don't have upcoming projects. I just wait to see what happens. So again, there's no upcoming projects. I love you I just like you're care. like living like day by well, day. Just think about it. Like I am lucky enough that I downsized and saved enough money to live small. I don't have to do anything, meaning like I don't feel like I have to achieve. I mean, it's funny. I was on a, I was a guest on this really big podcast called The Minimalists a couple weeks ago and we we're talking about how they're like, what's your goal with the podcast? I'm like, well, I want these guys to be able to quit their day jobs. And they go, oh, so they, you want to get them the career that made you miserable. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. I'm trying to control their future. So my only goal now is to have fun with it. We just, this is hilariously dumb. Someone who's 60 years old. I just started, I go, TikTok is a necessary evil in getting listeners. I was dreading it. Do you know it's the most stupid, fun thing? I love it. And I think it's, again, because it's not homework. It's not an obligation. Like the podcast, it's something, oh, this is cute. So I really don't care about anything other than kind of doing fun stuff that I'm connected to. And again, I am privileged in that I had a big career and saved enough to live small, not lavishly, of course, but small. And I just go, I think at least if we're kind of showing by example what people might get out of this is just start noticing little things that light you up a little bit, just in a cute, fun way. And you go, oh, I look forward to that. Oh, I look, oh, I saw that in my calendar. More of that feeling. You can get that in even if you have a job, even to bring a little good feeling to those small moments of your life where you can inject that. I think that that is so important for our listeners to hear. Just those small little pivots, those tiny shifts of incremental joy um, those yeah. really, really add up and they cause momentum of, of happiness. And I think that that's so important. Yeah. Lisa, you wrote a play called Stuffed. It discusses your history with overeating and gastric surgery and unhealthy relationships with food. What did it feel like to be that vulnerable and that open in front of so many people when you were on stage about something that was so incredibly personal to you? Oh, well, I'm not going to lie to you. I love that. I love never having secrets from anybody. I literally, when I had the gastric sleeve surgery 11 years ago, I called TMZ from the hotel room to tell them about it because I was like, I'm proud of myself. I'm like, I'm like taking, I'm having a surgery to save my life. Why wouldn't I brag about it? So I always told my publicist, she has the easiest job in the world because she'll never, nobody will ever unearth anything about me that I haven't already said. So I wanted to talk about food and weight for years because I mean, who do you know that doesn't struggle with some sort of body image or food or weight or addiction? And it could really apply to all addictions, really, because we're just trying to stuff the pain and stuff the feelings with a substance. So I love doing it. And again, that was another what I would look at as a quote unquote financial failure because it didn't take off the way I wanted it to. I had to have a death of a dream about that and go... The play didn't find the audience I wanted it to. I thought it was going to be like, you know, the vagina monologues about food, the way it traveled all over the country with a rotating cast. I thought that's what was going to happen. It didn't. And I go, isn't it great that I had worked on myself enough to feel the sadness, the disappointment, the grief, 
and then go, but the people who saw it needed to see it. The people who needed to see it came to that show. That's exactly right. So if I stack up all my little quote unquote failures, they are failures financially. But then I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I did them. So I guess people liked it, even if it was 10 people. Well, and not only that, but it also too, which is a whole other podcast that we'll have to have you back for, you know, what's your measurement of success? Maybe your measurement of success was to help that one person and it wasn't a financial. So maybe it wasn't a failure because you actually were that light that that person needed to see that day. You know, maybe that. Totally got emails Um, to indicate that definitely happened. And what's wild is, you know, that's why with the podcast, I go to the guy, don't tell me numbers of downloads. Don't care. Don't right. tell me what country we're big in. Don't tell me where we are on the charts. I am really not into numbers of likes, number of views. If it happens, it happens. And I just get to be joyful every day. They can be obsessed with that stuff. I can just go, right. measurement of success. Your time for obsession is over. Oh, honey, I accomplished enough. So when my, I think it's successful when somebody just goes, oh, that resonated with me. Okay, cool. It worked. One person right. liked it. Cool. No, I mean, you know what, Lisa, you're, you're like, it, it, what you're saying right now totally resonates with me because my social team will come back and they'll go, oh my God, you went viral. I'm like, no idea what that means. By the looks of your face, you're excited. I Let just, I don't excited. know and I yeah. don't care and I don't write. Exactly, exactly. And I'm not, not appreciative. That's amazing. That's awesome. But that's not why I wrote it. I wrote it mm-hmm. because it would help that one person or I wrote it because maybe that will give somebody the encouragement or the inspiration that they need to, to do something different. Yeah. Um, but I, I sometimes my feedback to my team is I don't want to come across as ungrateful or unsatisfied or unhappy because they're like, this went viral. And I'm like, no, like, is that a hundred thousand? Is that, I don't even know what those yeah. numbers are. I don't look at my likes. I don't look at my heart thing, whatever the things are. I don't look at any of it. I don't know how to use social media. So the one thing I'm taking away from this right now, Lisa, is I'm terrified because literally every single person is down my throat about TikTok. And I'm like, no, old people don't go on TikTok. Don't worry. Don't worry. I (laughs) promise you. Last Friday, I was enormously pissed about having to do it. And then I'm going, but I don't have to. So what am I doing? Yeah. Anyway, I remembered that I had coached this kid who's big on TikTok. I coached him with life problems when I was a half-assed life coach and quit that. So I go, oh, Mikey knows a lot of stuff. Let me schedule a call with him. When he told me what he does and showed me how to do the little tricks, I go, oh, that is so funny and stupid. I love it. So the lift that came from asking for help, getting a kick out of it, not looking at it as something I have to do, I think it's hilarious. So what happens is it's this internal shift after somebody says, hey, it's not going to be that bad and I'm here to support you. And then you just fuck around and have a good time. It's like stand-up. It, you know, many people are terrified to get on stage, not just for the first time, but for all time. I was just like, I don't have... Well, I think with stand-up, I wasn't ever like, I have to do this. I was a journalist. I didn't have to do stand-up. And then I was like, this is so much fun. I'm going to enjoy it. it. TikTok's the same thing. And so once you ask for help, figure out how cute it is and how silly it is. And that, guess what? I am content with having three views and I'll tell you why. If it's not right, it's not right. It's okay. doesn't matter because all it is is setting up an expectation. Mikey, call me. Call me, Mikey. (laughs) He'll help you. He'll help you. He's such a great guy. God bless him. I'm like, I'm... Oh gosh, I'm like sweating about it. I'm like, no, I can't do a TikTok. And they're like, it's not a TikTok, it's TikTok. And I'm like, right. whatever. I, I well, what's good about it, I was literally where you were 
five days ago. And now I'm cracking up oh, every day because I go, mm. oh, what silly things can we do? Because it's really being permission to be silly. And people don't want to come off silly right. if they right. help people. They want to come off all serious. I'm like, oh, fuck that. We have a video where what you do is basically <laughs> the way to sort of have fun with it, Mikey said, which I think is hilarious. There's trending sounds. So there's a sound that's trending oh. like billions where it's some little girl going, you're my best friend. And like the dog puts the arm around each other, whatever you figure out how to sync to that song. We have a video where literally Nick is looking at Bo in the back of a club and goes, how was your show? And he goes, not good. And Nick goes, let me take care of it and goes down to blow him. It is so fucking funny. So all it is is him looking like he's going down on him and this little kid going, you're my best friend. <laughs> so basically you just take the dumb shit you do in life, you put a sound to it and you just go, it's silly and fun. So, and you put words over it That's and little glitter, hysterical. who gives a shit? And I think you just say, you're putting yourself out there as a fun person and going, I don't care. But in anything, you know, business you or anything, when you have attachments, it takes the joy out of everything and expectations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lisa, what's your relationship like with food today? It's okay. It's not great. I luckily, you know, for better or worse, my surgeon did a way too good job on my surgery. My stomach does not stretch out. I didn't gain much weight back at all. I sort of got to where the same place for the past 10 years kind of over the pandemic, I gained six pounds and it's probably gone. I don't weigh myself. So I'm like, oh boy, he nailed it when it came to the surgery and I kept the weight off. But dude, I'm really not upset. I, I'm sad that I'll never eat a big meal again. I'm sad that I kept yeah. Thanksgiving and I eat two pieces of turkey skin and I'm done. Like I, mine's real. My stomach is very restricted. And again, Yes. Wow. Healthy wise. Great. Thank God. Get checkups yeah. all the time. Blood work, iron levels back to normal. It was horrible during the pandemic and had to go in for emergency IVs of iron. Okay. Health is great. Thank you, God. Fit into clothes that make me feel like I'm a, a you know, not self-hating as much as I used to be fine. But this food stuff, it's my comfort. I try not to go to it. And I am working with a coach on literally intuitive eating, stopping before I'm full, which is really hard because I'm miserable when I'm full and just getting around the emotion of it. So it's a lifelong struggle, but I will never maybe solve it. And I just go, well, at least I'm still working on it. I'm still in the game, you know, but I don't love it. Right. So what would you tell younger ones based on your journey? What would you tell them to start now? Like right now, like when people talk to me about like the, my, my past and like the things, mm -hmm. the trauma and where, you know, I always, I was where you were, Lisa, where I would be like, oh, I worked on that. You know, I was young. Yeah. I, I, I took care of that. That's done. What I didn't know was it evolves into different triggers. So as yeah. you get older and as you evolve, these things come back up. And I was like, no way. I already, I did this. I paid for it. Like this isn't a box. Yeah, it's a way yeah. we're good. And you're like, my food yeah, issues, super cute I, stuff. Really funny. I had that stuff too, where I was like, my food issues are solved. It's like, really good luck. And I've done everything. Yeah, everything done. It's all done. I mean, and with that issue, I mean, I did stuff that people are shocked. People would do like, I went to a 28 day rehab for food issues, like committed myself to a place where anorexics, bulimics and compulsive eaters go where it's insane. Like, 
no one's done more to work on yeah. their food than me. I had a clean slate when I did that surgery because I was like, the trying was insane for 40 years. But I would say you're never done. No issue is ever really solved. It's just solved as much as it can be at the moment. And the big thing is just literally, I don't believe in misplaced hope, but I believe there always is hope that things will get better. So the misplaced hope of, I hope I get viral on TikTok. I hope I get a thousand likes. I hope that's bullshit. But there is always hope and it does get better. It sounds like a cliche, but it does. And I think don't be afraid of your feelings. That's a big one too. Like if you need to cry, cry. If you notice though that you're wallowing and stuck, ask for help. So I think the asking for help, not just as we were joking about Mikey and TikTok, you just have to ask for help. There's no shame in it. It's just human and forgive yourself because you're going to make a shitload of mistakes because like I said, I still do it and I'm twice their freaking age. So I think the one of the important parts that you brought out, this has been so insightful and so enlightening for me, Lisa. It's been amazing. But I think one of the things that you say is don't wallow. So, you know, I have I have adult children and, and they, you know, they have loss, they have hurt, they have pain, they have things. And that's okay. I want you to feel every one of those feelings, whether at loss or sadness or disappointment, whatever it is. But I also want you to give yourself a time. So if you need to lay in bed all day with, you know, ice cream and Netflix, mm. or you need to lay in a dark room and be really sad and cry, that's fine. And when are we done? So we can kind of pick back up the momentum of positivity. How do we start to work on what that pain was so we can actually process it? So I think not wallowing is so important to what you said. Do you think that social media has played a role in any of the eating disorders or the body images that are online now? I mean, not for me, thank God, because when I was growing up, you didn't have anybody to compare yourself to except Twiggy, the model. You know what I mean? Like, so we, right, I just had right. it in a minor way because everybody on TV was beautiful, like, and the people on the love boat or whatever, you know? And so I, yeah. we had comparison back then. But yeah, I can't even imagine growing up now and, and being a teenager and having that pressure. And I don't know how parents deal with that. I don't. I'm lucky enough that most of my nieces don't even go on social media. And I'm always shocked. I'm like, How'd you dodge that bullet? So yeah, I think it's really tough. So I'm, again, when you asked me off the air, if I had kids and I go, oh my God, no. The reason it's, oh my God, no, is because I think I would have gone insane with worry. I don't think I could have ever handled motherhood because I might have been the most annoying, awful helicopter mom who really was like literally keeping them in the house night and day out of fear of sexual assault and all this craziness. So yeah, I don't envy parents who have to monitor this social media stuff. Yeah, that's me. Just so you know, like since we're being open and honest and transparent, yeah. that's me. Yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah. my 26 year old, thank God right now lives at home after spending time in Europe and living in Europe and heading to New York before the pandemic. And I mean, I, if she's not home at 11, I'm like, where are you? Who are you with? Um, yeah. Don't take the dark roads. Make sure that you take the... I was, I'm, I'm like a disaster. Like, and she goes, I'm 26. And I'm like, that's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Shut up. Like, what does that even mean? I'm 26. Like, that's, well, you're what's like, what's funny three. about it is like, I don't have kids, but I misplace worry onto nieces and nephews. So last year when all the protests were happening, my yeah. niece and nephew had said they're going to, yeah. to two Black Lives Matter protests in Cincinnati where they had just moved. And I'm like, I'm going, I have to protect them. Oh, I'm fucking 59 at the time. You think I'm protecting them? So I get us all outfitted <laughs> up. 
with if we get arrested, we've got the lawyer's numbers written on our arm. We've got depends on because they say if you should get arrested, they won't let you go to the bathroom. I made them bring goggles and all this crazy shit. Yes. Like it was amazing. And I thought to myself, this is why I couldn't have kids because I would have done this every day. My kids would have gone out with the Depends and a fucking bunch of goggles. And the protests yeah. were great. But what I realized was they were kind of trying yeah. to protect me. So I'm like, okay, we're all nuts. So worry is so right. difficult and I don't envy that. Right. No, no, you're like a massive distraction because you're not cool and they don't yeah. want Auntie Lisa to get hurt. Yeah. And like, you're the super cool aunt with the blue hair and everything else, yeah. but they're protecting you so they can't even protest, right? Yeah, you're such a yeah, jerk, Lisa. Yeah, I'm the worst, damn it. It's, I, I fucked up all the protests. But no, it's pretty insane. But hey, we're all dented. And what I, a friend of mine once said, we're all dented cans and we're just trying to bang the dents out. And the people that who I decluttered were people who weren't banging their dents out. And I just didn't feel it was good in my life anymore. But we're all just got to work on ourselves and try to bang those out. Well, you have a friend here because I um, I have so many dents that I try. I make dents banging <gasps> the old dents out of my dents. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah, that. girl. Yes, yes. Well, you know what? You know what? God bless. At least we're trying. So uh, thank you so much for having me, dude. Yeah. And Lisa, you know, we like to end our conversation with one last question. The whole entire show is about obstacles into opportunities. What's the biggest obstacle that you've mm. faced thus far and been able to turn it into an opportunity? <laughs> Myself, I always got in my own way. I always overthought. And again, a lot of this was based on trauma of the past. I, I thank God had no capital T trauma, but had small T traumas throughout childhood, yelling and whatnot. And um, I think because of that, I turned into an overthinker and I had to calculate everything. And so I go, oh, okay. So the way to not let that get in the way is for me to remove that stuff and to just go with my heart and intuition and not knee jerk out of habit. So yeah, I kind of got out of my own way. And by the way, I'll get in my own way later today. And I'll just self correct. We have to all just realize we're going to fuck up, self correct and forgive it. Where can our listeners find you and your new podcast and learn and grow with you? Well, I don't like to brag, but I am at losers at a dream. No, losers with a dream on TikTok. Now that I'm into it, follow losers with a dream. Also on social media, I'm at Lisa Lampanelli. If you can't spell my name, you don't deserve to follow me. And the podcast Losers with a Dream is everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. It's really deep. It's really funny. And honestly, like when they used to ask me to go promote stuff, like meaning other when I'd write a book or a play, there always be a little part of me that hated promoting. This fucking shit, I am so proud of because these guys are so open that I'm like, dude, you got to listen to this. It's bomb. So hopefully people will hear it and like it. That's awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing time and being so real and vulnerable. I'm so excited to have you and thank you again. Yay. Love you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.